You're listening to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Like the show? Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. You should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Hello, and welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to because the monkey's paw curled. My name is Kevin, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Bendick, the man Encyclopedia Britannica describes as male, white, see British. Benedict, (laughs) do we or do we not live in the worst timeline? Oh, absolutely. And live is a strong word, actually, to describe what <laughs> I don't know doing what we're doing moment. right now. Yeah, I would... It's all collapsing. I haven't left the house in a week. No. The Democratic presidential nominee might have grabbed someone by the pussy. We're just living in shit right now. And I can't describe to you how devastating this is for my psyche. How yeah. leave, not being able to leave, my, my gym is shut down and I've gained five pounds since we've been quarantined. Let's just name all the shit that's happened. <laughs> or we could say the good things. Like I can hear well, about half an hour ago before we recorded this, I could hear people applauding for frontline medical workers outside my window oh, in New York nice. City. Isn't that Yay. nice? Yeah, I live next to a nurse and no one applauds because we have a hallway they walk through. So that's, I don't know when she's getting home. So yeah, I don't, I'm not going to go stand out there and harass her as she gets home. But I think with all of it that's going on, and I'm sure you, dear listeners, know uh, by now that uh, if you are uh, uh, a nurse or a doctor or someone who's out there trying to to help us through this, we thank you. We are very, very grateful for everything for you, you're doing and for everyone else, stay home. Yep. Stay ho- If you can stay home, if you don't have to go anywhere, stay home. Just stay home. Please, just do the bare minimum and stay home. I I know that it's, it's driving us all crazy because it's driving me crazy. I am neurotic. I have been in my home. There's only two places I've been every day. I've been thinking about this. There's only two places I am every day, in my bed or in my office chair. Those are the two places, because my office chair is in my living room in front of my TV and my computer. So I'm either in my bed or I'm in my office chair. Those are basically where I have spent the whole last, uh, what are we on, three weeks now? Three weeks, yeah, pretty much. Something like that. Three weeks, I have basically either been in bed or in my office chair. And I know it's driving us all crazy, but we have to do it so we can get through it. And to help you all get through it, we uh, we are going to be doing some things. You may have noticed that last week, even though we are a bi-weekly show, uh, I released a special episode, which was a re-release of our movie review of the Dinesh D'Souza documentary, uh, which right now I'm blanking on the name of Death of a Nation. Death of a Nation. Death of a Nation. I re-released that for all of your enjoyment and for new listeners who may not have heard it in the past. 
What we are going to do uh, in, for the foreseeable future, we may be recording just some extra material that we can, can release on a weekly basis, perhaps, to help everyone get through this. But uh, barring that, I see Benedict shaking his head like, I have stuff to do, man. I have so much stuff but to do. But barring that, I'm going to be going back into our archives and re-releasing some of the old book reviews uh, for the new listeners. So I will be pulling those out of the old episodes and editing them together and hopefully putting out, uh, I think I'm going to start with the Dinesh, Dinesh D'Souza book review. Uh, which was probably my favorite, I think. I loved that book review. We yeah, had a lot of fun bad. with that one. It, it was we, bad, it was but genuinely, it, was not, it was not like, hey, everyone's trying to kill Christians. So It, it was bad in a way we haven't seen before, or, or since, I think, rather. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which was just, it was deliciously bad. It yeah. was enjoyably bad. Whereas a lot of these books we've done since have just been bad, bad. Yeah, so, and like a uh, lot more memoir-y. Like, yeah, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. So I'm going to be doing that for all of you, so there's more content out there for you. Of course, we are soon going to be recording a bonus episode for our patrons over at patreon.com forward slash Kevin and... Nope, wrong one. Patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. I'm still giving out the old way. Yep, Uh, But yes, uh, go over there to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC if you want more. We have awesome perks for all of our patrons. Shoutouts on the show, uh, bonus content, all that kind of fun stuff. But we decided we add a new a new little wrinkle this week to the show, uh, where we are going to give you our reading suggestions of what to read instead of mm. what we have read this week for the podcast. Now, Benedict, why don't you start first? Because I'm sure mine's going to be much better than sure. your book recommendation. Sure. So, another thing, one of the other things I'm reading at the moment is H.W. Uh, Brands' biography of FDR, which is called Traitor to His Class, um, and is about, shockingly... FDR's rise to power and subsequent guiding America through the Great Depression and World War II and also the Japanese internment camps and stuff, which, you know, less good, uh, actively mm. bad, in fact, but it's it's really, it's super interesting. Um, chronicles from childhood through polio, through the governorship of New York, uh, Great Depression, very relevant to the current time, uh, <laughs> given given that this is the worst job losses on record since the Great Depression, I think, um, in terms of percentage of the population. So, yeah, that's it's definitely a good one. H.W. Brands, Traced to His Class, would be my recommendation yes. for this week. It's all the rage in the salons. Yes, uh, truly, truly so. My, the, the, sal- the salons that are all closed at the moment and should yeah. remain closed before yeah, yeah. It's a, I think it's like 15 years old. It's an old book. Well, not an old, old book, but it's not a new book. Good. Well, my reading recommendation for you today, dear listener, Amazing Fantasy number 15, the first appearance of Spider-Man, written by Stan Lee and illustrated by the incomparable Steve Ditko, gives the origin story of Spider-Man, introducing him to the world and giving us the single greatest superhero we've ever known. And as Benedict knows, but you all don't, uh, Spider-Man has actually joined us in studio today. We are <laughs> we are accompanied by Spider-Man for this book review. We are. We truly are. He's... I, well, I, well, here, here's a question. What would Spider-Man think of this book? Of this book? Spider-Man's a... Oh, Spider-Man, Peter Parker is a smart guy, obviously. Went to Empire State University, modeled off NYU. Uh, and, and obviously, big on science. Does a lot of reading, a lot of non-fiction reading. If Spider-Man, Peter Parker, were to come across this book, what do you think he would do about this book. I don't know. I think if Spider-Man were real, Donald Trump probably wouldn't have been president because Spider-Man would have bullied <laughs> him as a child in real, Queens. Yeah. If heroes were real, we never would have had a uh, uh, Donald two, Trump as two president. Two alternate yeah. universe, yeah. 
But yeah. if Spider-Man was real, that would mean the Daily Bugle and J. Jonah Jameson was... Oh God, I'm going down a, a real wormhole here. Of what, I want to live in the universe where Spider-Man is real and Donald Trump is imaginary. That's yeah, really that what I good. want. That would be good. All right, should we do this stupid... Well, anyway, yes. Why don't we return to our book review of Triggered by Donald Trump Jr., the only man in America that New Jersey spit back out. Uh, <laughs> this week, we are on Chapter 5, Gap Year, uh, for which my alternate chapter title is, My Mom Says They Won't Hang Out With Me Because They're Jealous. Uh, mine was Gap in the... I don't even get a chuckle for that. No, I don't even get a me. chuckle for that. No, you got to bring better jokes than that. Oh, come on. <laughs> Mine You're was just gap, a hater. Haters be gap, jealous. Gap in the narrative. Ah, this is your theory about where this entire chapter came from. Yes, I will reveal that theory soon. <laughs> we, we, yes, we talked about before the show how you think this chapter was developed, and uh, I'm sure you'll bring it up at some point. So why don't we begin, starting with the first paragraph of this chapter, which uh, I had this note, and I don't know if you feel the same way about this, but I'm pretty sure... He's used this same exact phrasing before in this book, although I didn't bother to go back and check. I'm just pretty sure he's used it, where he says, uh, From the moment the nurses at New York Hospital inked the name Donald Trump Jr. onto my birth certificate, you might say I've been following in the footsteps of my father. I'm pretty sure we've read that exact phrase yeah. before. Also, I didn't Google this, but is New York Hospital a place? Like, that just seems like he doesn't actually know the name of the hospital he was actually born in. And he was like, it really New York sounds like hospital, the name of the hospital in a Marvel comic is what <laughs> yeah. it sounds like. <laughs> he was just like, oh, I don't know the names of any hospitals. Shall I Google? No, nobody will look it up. So, yeah, that's. Yes. Very or weird. his parents have just always told him he was born at New York Hospital because, of course, Donald Trump doesn't know the name of any hospitals. Uh, and he's just never bothered to check. Another possibility. Other possibility, it's a real hospital. What do I know? I don't Yeah, live in it New might York. well be. It might yeah. well be. So he mentions that, of course, he was born on December 31st, 1977, and the fireworks were firing off outside the window, champagne corks were popping on the streets, and he says, if that's not an entrance fit for a Trump, I don't know what is. So taking advantage of other people's pomp and circumstance and pretending it's all for you, is that what we're saying here? Is that the joke that we're going for? I think it is. I think it's a better characterization of what happened. Yes, I, yeah. I completely agree with you. Cool. But but we get... So there are, in this chapter... Okay, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. weird hold moments on. that are strange windows into the world of Donald Trump Jr. I'll, I'll okay. let you go. I just wanted I, to get that out. There are strange know, windows I, into the world I, and mind of Donald Trump Jr. I, I think you might be about to say the same thing, but I'm going to say it anyway. Mm -hmm. the, the, the first thing he says is, like, narrative in this book, in this chapter, is da basically, dad made mum push me out on New Year's Eve <laughs> so that he could can claim me as a dependent on, my ta on his tax return, which is, like, strangely revealing. Like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds about right from everything I've heard. Yeah, I, I, I had that highlighted, but I, it wasn't the, the point I was going to, to bring up specifically. What I was going to bring up was what comes immediately after that, which is where he mentions that his dad didn't want to let, let anyone else have his full name, saying, we can't do that. What if he's a loser? Which is the saddest <laughs> short story ever written. <laughs> and he is. is. Look at that. He is a loser. And, and he follows up that trying to, I think, sort of blunt how obviously sad that is with, when you're Donald Trump's son, you get, you, you get, I knew he was crying when he wrote this, you get used to that sense of humor. As you could probably tell, it's one of the more of the things I picked up from him. 
Because that is just so sad that his dad actually said that and that everyone in the world knows it to be true. You know what else? It's it's actually quite funny. Like, Trump is is the one... He sucks for many reasons, but he can be quite I thought you were just going to leave it like that. Great, great good for our comedy show. Yeah. (laughs) Donald Trump, he sucks. Yeah. He sucks. No, he does. But he is quite funny. Like, he can be quite funny. Whereas, like, mm-hmm. Donald Trump Jr. is not funny. Eric Trump is not fun. None of these, none of his progeny are funny in any way. No matter how funny they think they are, Trump is actually naturally quite funny. It's just sad that this person runs the world, like, America. Funny, funny in a crew member on the Death Star doing the aristocrats joke, it's sort of funny, I, I think yeah. is how I would describe it. Yeah. But we that. continue on. <laughs> We continue on with, of course, uh, more talk. We we brought up the title, of course, is Gap Year. So that's what part of this chapter is going to be about, yeah. at least. Well, it's a. I, I, let me. I'll say it now because otherwise I, I'll forget what I said. But it's it's just a really weird chapter. We've said that about nearly every chapter, but this is a mm-hmm. particularly weird chapter. And I I don't know if you or or any of our listeners have ever done this, but when when you're writing. It's, it's especially like a, a longer piece like whether that's a longer piece of fiction or a longer piece of you know that has an actual argument unlike this book what you normally would do is you overwrite it and then you take things out and you go okay this is getting cut and it get, goes into like a special folder where you're like i like this writing but it doesn't fit here what donald trump jr has done is done that except he's put that file that's supposed to be separate and never published and he's made it into one chapter which is what this <laughs> chapter is well, and this chapter, it should be said, is a justification or a, a glorification, maybe, of him taking a year off after college. That's basically the extent of any argument we get in this chapter is, I took a year off after college, and it was awesome. Yeah. Basically all there is here. Yeah. So Which he, is very he European. Said he, and, you know, I, I think everyone <laughs> should do gap years, but whatever. What do but I know? some of us can't afford it, Benedict. That's true. No, I don't. I mean, yeah. Some of us are $300,000 in student loan debt, well, Benedict. That sounds like a choice that you've made for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. It's okay. I had five years of, I had five gap years after high school. Yeah. Um, well, six, seven, I don't know how many years I had. Six years. Yeah, I went back to, I went back to college. 2016. Yeah, six years. Anyways. He says that, uh, of course, there's a, a conception of privilege attached to taking a gap year, duh, uh, and that not everyone can take a year off to backpack through Europe before entering the workforce or et cetera, blah, blah, blah. But of course, his gap year didn't come with a whole lot of privilege. Why would it? Other than the fact that, of course, he just graduated college with zero student loan debt, which I will repeat over and over. But, I mean, yeah, th- like... This is no, just because you went to fucking Montana doesn't make you special. Like, oh no, you didn't go to Europe. Like, who cares? Really? Like, yes, you still left your home and had the money to support yourself. Like, who says that people aren't doing odd jobs in Europe when they travel to Europe? Mm -hmm. Well, he says that his dad, of course, after finding out that he was going to take a gap year, cut him off. And immediately follows that with, well, they forgot to cut off the mobile card that I had. Yeah, so so they didn't cut him off. Doesn't yeah. get it. Like, it's completely so, lost on him. Yeah. So he hops into his Jeep, because, you know, he's a blue-collar guy, as we learned in the last chapter, and headed off to Colorado. Aspen. Skiing. And, and 
I don't know what else they do in Aspen. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm sure it's a nice place, fine place, playground of the rich and famous, uh, where people famously get into shouting matches on the slopes with the wife they've cheated on. Uh, <laughs> but he man he mentioned that he ended up at the Tipler Bar, which is where he was working. And of course, it was a famous hangout of stars. Uh, but by the spring of 2000, when he began working there as a bartender, he says, it had officially achieved dive status, just the way he likes his bars. Low, so that he can actually <laughs> clear them. <laughs> uh, I, I, don't, I don't know what the point of that is. Look, the, the, this entire book well, is a, a, a rich guy trying to convince us that he's not. I think it's, and then I admitting think, that he's rich. Yeah, I think it's this. I think maybe he's learned from the previous chapter. He's learning. Is <laughs> uh, that um, before he was like, "Oh, I I got my first physical job parking people's yachts," and everyone was like, "Or oh, we were like, that is not a real job." <laughs> <laughs> and then this time he's been like, "Oh yeah, Jack Nicholson and Sylvester Stallone used to hang out there, but now it's just the B-listers." Like he just he has no concept in his writing of what a normal shitty job is. So he's like, right, was like my we learned in the last chapter with the B listers. Like, <laughs> yeah, like we learned in the, la the last chapter, of course, right? He, he didn't feel at home around famous people. So he just hung out with Michael Jackson and Heisman trophy winners. That's what we learned in the last chapter. He's, exactly. he's completely clueless, completely exactly. clueless. So we get a couple pages of ramblings about how he would, hunt and fish in Colorado while he was working as a bartender. He also says uh, he got fairly good grades in college and then does not specify what those <laughs> grades were, which is what people who do not have fairly good grades do. Yes. Release the transcripts. Release exactly. the long-form transcripts, Donnie. The long-form transcripts. But he, he makes a claim in here that I did pick up on, on these few pages of nonsense and completely pointless ramblings about his fun gap year, that to this day, whenever he travels out to Iowa and Montana for campaign events or stump speeches, he sleeps on the couches of one of the people he met during his time as a bartender or in one of their guest rooms, to which that's complete bullshit. He has not slept on a couch in decades there is no way Donald Trump Jr. sleeps on anybody's goddamn couch. Yeah, also, but like, next, it doesn't it doesn't make you special to sleep on a couch. Like, it just makes you an <laughs> asshole that's taking up somebody's couch when you could afford a hotel room. Like, just get a fucking yeah. hotel. It's not like you can't afford the hotel. What are you doing? Why are you sleeping on someone's couch? He's supposed to be a hotel guy, last I heard. Yeah. Uh, but, but next we move on to this section of the chapter where it's this weird thing that upper middle class or wealthy white people always do and I can't help but notice, where they try and build up their own blue-collar, hard-working cred through their ancestors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We love where he stuff. brings up and spends a long time talking about his grandfather, Fred Trump, who was a legitimate, uh, hard-working, scrabble-up-from-the-bottom-and-build-his-own-fortune kind of guy, built on the backs of, of, you know, a lot of racism and terrible other stuff there, but genuinely, genuinely did come from very little money to make a lot of money, right? Mm -hmm. And so he th th he spends a lot of time talking about that. And of course, the only point is to build up his own cred in that way. Yeah, I, I, my family came from nothing, so therefore, you know. So therefore, right. That sentence can only end with, so therefore. Yeah. Because nothing after that, that there sentence is, there makes is any no, logical sense. There is no QED that that could lead to, you're right. Yeah. You were born in a sparkling golden palace, Donnie. Yeah. So that's where we start the story, not two generations before you. But 
We get the end of his time in Aspen, of course, when he found out about the 9-11 terrorist attack, which uh, he neglected to call a radical Islamic terrorist attack in this book. I I was surprised by that. There was only one place he wanted to be, and then he packed up his Jeep and headed back home. Isn't that a really weird reaction? I don't really want to dwell on 9-11, but like, isn't that, that's just like a super, like, hero origin story type of writing that he's done? (laughs) I like, you know, I I imagine him out in the woods, like, with his gun on his back, like, hearing the calls of the birds that are telling him what had happened. Like, it was very weird. Very (laughs) weird. He is the worst Punisher. He is the worst version of the Punisher, is what Donald Trump Jr. is. Yeah. He's absolutely the worst version of the Punisher. Uh, but yes, ap- apparently 9-11 is what inspired him to end his gap year. Uh, didn't have anything to do with him, you know, wanting to go make money. Uh, and then he packed up and went back to New York. And so that's where we pick up on the story he was of him doing his promptly, first job. Promptly uncut off. So went yeah. back to the safety net that was always there. <laughs> and immediately was giving an, given an upper level job in the Trump organization. Yes. Okay, you just so literally... Many people do. He says that 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 job, the the previously referenced job, the Trump International Hotel and Tower in Chicago, where mm-hmm. he was a VP by then, that was his second job. You know how mm-hmm. you get promoted to VP after one job. That's that tends yeah. to be how it goes. Yeah. Look, my my little brother is in construction management. He went to college for construction management, and now that's what he does, right? Uh, so he's been doing that for a couple of years now, working at a company in the the Bay Area of California, and he's you know, pretty good at what he does. He's a smart kid. Um, he is not a VP now no. after finishing his first job. No, no. surprisingly. Shockingly. Uh, you, may, you, may have, you may be shocked to learn yeah. that. But he, he brings up here, for surpri- surprising to me, um, one of the Trump Organization's most famous failures. Yeah, it's really uh, weird. Is the first job he decides to bring, which is, of course, his first job in, in the Trump Organization. Yeah. So he got promoted he, after I think that. you know more about this than me because you've talked about it in the past. I don't know much about this, yeah. but I do know it's one of their biggest failures. Well, so they, they, they just bought a, a huge plot of land near the Hudson River. You, you Remember you got that bus in and it's all sparkly and new now? What, down where the buses yes. go from? That's oh, what it so looks that's like. where I came that's, in. Okay. That's what it looks like now. Um, but Trump bought it and then sold it at a huge loss because he couldn't get the development on it that he wanted, essentially. So, because they were like, let's move the fucking West Side Highway to accommodate the buildings that I want to do. Which is like, yeah. you're not going to move, where are you going to move the highway to? It goes up the west side of the island, you're going to move it into the river? Like, and also he wanted no, the government learned, to pay for it. We learned that the reason why they couldn't get the West Side Highway moved, and the reason why this project failed, is because Jerry Nadler was jealous of Donald yeah, Trump. that's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, it was supposed to be a big, ugly building, and then they sold it at a huge loss, which essentially is is what happened. We get talk about him doing his his first job there, and uh, he uh, talks about how the reason he uh, went from project manager to basically having ownerships of all aspects of the job was because of his willingness to work and learn. And no, again, it's because of your last name, Donnie. That's why you got that position. It wasn't because you did 10% more than anyone else like you wrote about in this book. It's because of your goddamn last name. And then he throws in here uh, to to go along with that. And and we get into, like I mentioned, Jerry Nadler. They start to blame everything on Jerry Nadler. Uh, That Donald Trump and and the organization had contacts with all sorts of politicians throughout the time, which, of course, a real estate developer would because they're trying to get different things passed. They need money because, you know, socialism for the rich. Uh, 
That's he right. says this. He quotes Michael Corleone <laughs> talking to his brother in The Godfather, saying, it's not personal, it's strictly business. And this is this, it's this beautiful lack of self-awareness uh, and, and what everyone knows about the Trump family and the mafia connections and all that. It just comes through so often uh, that they're just completely unaware of all. I know for a fact, I don't know, but I know for a fact that Donald Trump Jr. probably has a Scarface poster in his home right now, somewhere, on a wall. Yeah, I feel like it's... I don't know about Scarface. Scarface seems too... Like, Scarface is too obviously a bad guy. Like, Scarface is not a good person. You can They make... don't know that. No, I know, but you... I... Come on, Scarface. You can make the argument that Michael Corleone is like an anti-hero type. You can make the argument that the people... They don't understand that the people in Goodfellas are not the good guys. Like, that's that's the thing. So I feel like it's more like a Goodfellas. Like, it's a Joe Pesci poster is the... Yeah, like yeah. That, that's He more... doesn't understand that Joe Pesci, in, not, not even good, in, in Casino, uh, yeah. is a bad guy. I, f- a fun side, a fun aside, rather. Uh, one of the, the scariest moments of my life was watching Casino with a former roommate, and he laughed during the Joe Pesci death scene. Oh, no. <laughs> but he's getting beaten to death with baseball bats. And my yeah. roommate is just sitting there laughing his ass off about Joe Pesci and his brother being beaten to death with a baseball bat. I can't get over that. No. But anyway, back to this. <laughs> Fun aside there. Aside. Thanks for that, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, I've lived with some psychopaths, you could yeah. say. Um uh, but yes, yeah, so we yes. Now, as you said, we get into this uh, the moving of the West Side Highway, which in order to do so, he needed federal approval and funds. Federal funds, socialism for the rich. Again. We said it so many times. We there will continue go. to say it. it's socialism, socialism for the rich. Beautiful. Yes, and he says the congressman from the West Side went out of his way to make sure the federal government would not give my dad a dime. And that is, as I mentioned, Jerry Nadler. For his and, shitty idea, to be fair. Like, and it's I, not. This is the quote where I said, he, he blames it on jealousy. I wasn't being hyperbolic. He literally says it. He says, quote, since his first day as an assemblyman, for whatever reason, jealousy probably, Nadler has hated my father. <laughs> I just love that so much. Yep. Because he says that in this chapter about so many people. That is their go-to excuse, and that's where my alternate book ch- uh, chapter title came from. They blame hatred or unwillingness to do any business with Donald Trump on jealousy. It's always jealousy, and that's exactly how Donald Trump and his son think about the world. If they don't like us, if they hate us, if they're not on board with doing whatever crackpot crazy thing we want, it's jealousy. Yep. Always is. Always is. Okay, so then uh, we we move on to the next bit, which is him praising Rudy Giuliani and Michael Bloomberg, yes. which is like a weird, a weird double whammy of like we still weird like combo Giuliani. giving recent events. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, this book was written before Michael Bloomberg announced his presidential run, and then <laughs> announced that he was no longer running for president because Warren tore him a new one. Um, and, and before Rudy Giuliani completely lost his mind, because I don't know if you've noticed this. In the, this is just a, a, the last couple of weeks, Rudy Giuliani who has been an insane person for his entire life, right, has gotten progressively crazier, having crackpot doctors onto some podcast he's doing, trying to push fucking vitamin C coronavirus cures and bullshit. It's insane. It's yeah. fucking crazy. This guy, I mean, look, 
around, I remember 9-11. I was alive during 9-11. I was in fourth grade. And at that time, yes, the entire country looked up to Rudy Giuliani, as he notes here in the book. We all looked up to Rudy Giuliani because he was the mayor of the city at the time. Blah, blah, blah. He did a, he did a decent job during 9-11 of trying to bring people together and, and get the city through the crisis. Fine. Doesn't change the fact he is a batshit crazy person now and before and at the time he just managed to mask it for a while. Yeah, yeah. So that, that I mean, this is a way I don't really understand why this bit is in this chapter. Again, I think it's you know this belongs because somewhere again else. he yeah. has to say jealousy was the reason why Bloomberg was was oh, yeah, against Donald that. Trump when he ran for the presidency. He actually he say says that, that again, not because he's unqualified in any way. Um, and then we move back to the Chicago Tower, and that's just been completed. And, uh, and this that- is one of the most maddening things about this book, right? And this is a problem we see all the time in these books that we do, is they have no care for timelines or chronology. No. They just jump back and forth at whim because that's how their mind works. They're not thinking about doing an outline and writing a book based yeah. on that. They're just sitting down in front of a word processor and typing out whatever comes into their fucking skull. Yeah, I mean, that's how my my mind works, but I normally edit my writing <laughs> afterwards to make it into some form of coherent sense. So, we need to get you a job at a conservative publisher editing their books. We really do. I would be we good. really, really do. I would be like, no, we're not publishing this. It's bad. And then that would be it. The publisher would go under. Um, yes. So, yeah. So then they talk about how actually we decided we were going to stop building things and we were going to start just doing stuff around our branding, which, again, yes. provides a lot of insight into how Trump world works. And that they actually build very little of consequence and just slap their name on things and say it's their thing. Which is the same for, like, any good policy that Donald Trump has pretended to support in the last three, four years. It's like, mostly, Obama did it, and Trump just claimed to have done it. Right. Donald Trump and his organization now haven't, as far as I know, haven't really done any building projects in the last decade. What What you mentioned, yes, where their money comes from is from their branding. And so what they do is mainly overseas sell rights to the Trump name to put on various towers or condominium complexes, Places like uh, Russia, Turkey, Saudi Arabia, you know, just the normal places where you do business. Famously so. And of course, around 2008, you may also recall this is the same time as The Apprentice. And this is where all this comes from. And we have seen since then, uh, I don't know if anyone's, well, I have to recommend this because it is fantastic. Uh, The Netflix series Dirty Money. Uh, I don't know if you've watched it, Benedict. Have you seen that? I haven't. No, I've heard it's good though. It is amazing. And there is a whole episode on Donald Trump in the first season. And in the second season, they did an episode on Jared Kushner and his operations as a slumlord in New York City. Uh, and I highly recommend it. It's so good because at one point they do bring in, I, th- I think it was this one, or it might have been a different documentary. I'm pretty sure it was Dirty Money. Uh, they brought in the executive producers of The Apprentice who talked about how everything they did was a show. It was just glitz and glamour, and they had made everything that was so sad and pathetic look impressive and and amazing, and mm-hmm. how it's all just on the surface. There's no depth whatsoever to it. It's all on the surface. Yeah, so that, highly uh, recommended. That, Check out Dirty Money. That makes sense. But then, actually, like this is we got to maybe I think the most enjoyable bit of the book for me so far. <laughs> maybe <laughs> I, I, shooting I, on Bill that, Crystal. Yeah. 
Phil Crystal, uh, Brett Stevens, and Jonah Goldberg. This was a good time for me. Um, and not that he called them rats. That's kind of not great. Don't like. No, no, that. rhinos, rhinos. Yeah. No, he called them rats too. He called. Did, Crystal, oh, I might have missed that. He, he said Crystal was one of the first rats to attack my father. Ah, that is okay, I a, that. a quote, which is not great. That's uh, smacks of national socialism a little bit. Um, and then he praises Sarah Palin, who you'll recall was recently last seen on The Masked Singer singing Baby Got Back. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that, but that is one of the weirdest things of this dystopia that we're living in. Yeah, that that was the day my mind actually broke during this quarantine. <laughs> that, uh, that was when I, fi- I suffered the final break. Sorry, um, just, I haven't just come back since. To, to make it clear to people, she was dressed up as a pink bear rapping <laughs> along to Baby Got Back while Nick Cannon twerked. Like, this is where oh, we are God. at. This is the person who almost was vice president in 2008. And led part of the backlash to obama's presidency through the racist establishment of the tea party movement which by the way where are they now that this two trillion debt is being taken on wonder what happened there anyway moving on not that i'm angry or anything um so yeah he uh, i i loved this as much as you did i i really did because look there's plenty to shit on with Bill Crystal and Jennifer Rubin and Brett Stevens and Jonah Goldberg. They're all their their politics are shitty, but I do have to give them props for at least showing that they have backbone and they're not uh, they're not fake pieces of shit like the majority of the the Trump Republican world. Right? They yeah. stood up. They stood against Trump and said he's against everything we stand for. He's fake. He's the worst thing we have. Good. They deserve props for that. And they deserve continued criticism for their shitty politics. Conviction in their shittiness, which is like the bare minimum that people should be required to have. Exactly. And they they meet that bare minimum. So, good. Great. So then he goes on to praise. (laughs) Let's... let's Call out the people that he praises, shall we? Uh He says, back in the early 2010s, the Tea Party gave the Republican establishment a pretty good shake. So who does he say Uh was responsible for that? Rand Paul, Ted Cruz, (laughs) Mark Meadows, Jim Jordan. I think the requirement for this is you have to have an alliterative name. That's like the only thing that gets you into this. Mike Huckabee. Jolly Jim Jordan. That's it. Magnificent Mike. Yeah, yeah. Mike Huckabee. And Sarah Palin, they led the revolution. Ah, ladies and gentlemen, your magnificent <laughs> leaders leading your revolution. You remember that that revolution where they still lost the presidency in 2012? You remember that one? Yeah, I mean, they did burn back a lot of the House and the Senate, to be fair. Yeah. To be fair. But oh. also then he says the first thing that I actually laughed at in this whole book uh, he says, if you remember back to the beginning of the campaign, the Republican establishment called themselves Never Trumpers, made up of rhinos, as you said, Republicans in name only, huge money donors, and a variety of interest groups. The, lift, the list of them is as long as John Kerry's face, <laughs> which is the first and I think probably only time I laughed in this book. Because that yes. is such juvenile humor, but it's actually <laughs> funny. Like out of nowhere like bringing john Kerry into it out of absolutely nowhere to be just like hey you know what he's got a big head <laughs> see you you laughed there and i laughed at the beginning of the next page where he says after my father was elected some members of the establishment weaseled their way into the white house they were supposed to act as grown-ups in the room or guardrails to keep the presidency from driving off a cliff which he follows with the 
yeah, right. And that yeah, right is the most <laughs> illustrative thing possible. Yeah. Because yeah, right, they weren't able to keep yeah, it from going Yeah, as if off they the fucking cliff. could, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But also, but hold on. He I, go- th- sorry, he goes on to say, in less than three years, my father has almost completely reconfigured the Republican Party. That's true. That's true. The, mm-hmm. the, the Republican Party is Trump's party now. As proven by Mitt Romney, the 2012 presidential candidate for the Republican Party being uninvited from CPAC. Oh, well, you may be aware he's a rhino. That's a Republican true. in name only. Also, Trump That's why they nominated know what him that to means. be their presidential candidate. Trump definitely right. doesn't know what that means. Because he was like, he's a rhino. That's great. What? Like, no, huh? no, no, no. Stop pretending that. Stop pretending that <laughs> phrase has any meaning. Yeah. There's no meaning to that. It's a label slapped on anyone who doesn't toe the Trump party line to label them as an enemy that every Republican should hate. And yeah. I know, as a subscriber to the Donald Trump campaign email list, oh, no. Why? that every Why? <laughs> because I I like to know what my parents are reading. Uh, so. <laughs> It's so true. It's painful, man. It's so true. I've I have on occasion another aside here. On occasion, uh, when I'm home visiting my my parents, uh, my mom will never let me drive, even though she's a terrible driver. But you know, I don't have a car back there, so I I drive around with my mom when I'm I'm often doing projects for her. So we go to pick up materials at Home Depot or something, uh, and she's driving, and she, to her credit, does not text or look on her phone while driving. Great. She's at the age where I don't want her doing that because it could lead to a very bad car accident. Don't do it so at any hand, age because it's bad. Yeah, don't do it at any age. It's bad. So she'll hand her phone to me and ask me, hey, can you look through my emails? Uh, I think a client sent me something. I need to know what the uh, the number was or something like that. And so I have on occasion looked through her emails and it is the worst and scariest thing I've ever seen where I get headlines where this email is from uh, all caps, the Republic Defenders, or another all caps, real news. Oh, no. And it is exactly the opposite of that. It is the scariest thing to know that my parents are being fed this line of bullshit and are gobbling it up. Believe, I, I've, I've on Twitter, if you've been following me on Twitter, you know I've been talking about things I've heard from my parents uh, during the crisis just now, like my mom just the other day. Uh, told me that the reason why it was so bad in China and Italy was, quote, because they're dirty countries who don't care about their people. That was one of the most upsetting things I have heard in a long time. I mean, people keep saying that about New York, too, which is not great. Oh, God. It's it's just sad, man. It's really sad that this is is where we come to. Anyway, I got to break away from that because we're... (laughs) We're staying away from the book as long as we can, uh, but we got to get back to it. We get to another subset. He, so I, I, we haven't mentioned this at all, but this book is not split up into uh, subtitles in chapters or anything, but there is occasionally just a little bar on the page indicating a break from that topic and going to a new topic. So that's what we get now, uh, where he goes back to his father announcing that he's running for president. And he, I, I want to read this in its entirety because this is me putting on my literary criticism hat which I inherited from Benedict, uh, and, and I just love this so much, where he says, Until my father announced that he was running for president, the idea of my entering politics was about as remote as my becoming a vegan. Sometimes, however, circumstances direct the roads you take. That is such 
a waste of an opportunity. Like, that is where you put in a little aphorism. You put in something just a tiny bit prose-ish. Yeah. You put in something cutesy there, but he manages to fuck that up. You know what is even, like, literally, like, a better way of saying that is sometimes shit happens. That's funny on multiple <laughs> levels. That is better writing. <laughs> Which is is more up his alley, to be yeah. honest. Also, like, why is it until uh, my entering politics? It's me entering politics as uh, same as remote as me becoming a vegan. Why are you saying my? That's a weird literary flourish that doesn't need to be there. And you're not a skilled enough writer for me to know that that is not just a fucking mistake. (laughs) I need to I need to meet the editor. I really I don't think there is one. There can't be one. It can't be this bad. Roger Stone? I don't know. Who else would could have edited this book? I have no idea, to be honest. But uh, So in this section, we talk about his involvement with the Trump campaign. And he talks about everything that he brought to the campaign. And boy, you know, he brought it, whatever that is, because he doesn't exactly tell us what the fuck that is. I don't know what he brought, but he keeps telling us he brought something. Yeah. Sorry, I was just looking at the cover page to see if I could see who the editor was, and I could not. So <laughs> I was not really listening, but he did bring something, certainly. He brought dead ducks. Right. Is that what it was? Dead birds? No. Yes, yes. Okay. He says, also, along with being pretty handy in front of the camera, I brought something else to the campaign. Like everyone in the beginning of the race, we focused on the Iowa caucuses, the first of the presidential primaries. It was in Iowa that I began to realize that my life up until then had prepared me for my father's campaign, and what we get out of that is he went hunting with people. Yeah. That's it. Killed That's some the extent. Killed yeah, some he went hunting with people in Iowa. And he, he tells this whole two-page long story about going pheasant hunting and reporters followed. And he points out, ah, oh, I shot nine birds with nine shots. Ain't I fancy. Woo, boy. That's it. What is the fucking point? Yeah, there isn't one. I, I mean, it's basically to say, like, I then sold out an arena. Like, that. that's basically all this is, I think. Like, I was in Colorado one time and sold out a small <laughs> arena. Like, it's just very confusing. Well, he's, he says also, this is another thing I wanted to quote. He says, quote, Unlike many New York City socialites, I didn't have to try to connect with them. I was one of them. They saw that I'm not an out-of-touch elitist, that I relate to people and people relate to me. To which... He hunts is the only thing he has for that. Yeah. The only fucking thing. Because nothing else in his life could possibly relate to a lower middle class white person from the Midwest. Absolutely nothing. But he likes to hunt and be outdoors. That's it. That's the limit of his, his similarities. I like to be outdoors too. I don't like to kill things for sport. But I like to be outdoors. Does that make me similar? No. Not at all. Like I said, the worst version of the Punisher. He is the deer Punisher. That's all he is. So, yes, the story you brought up where he's talking about um, uh, have, getting more people than he expected at a campaign rally event, uh, he throws in this line at the end where he says, okay, but I don't want to get sued for false marketing. Don't want people to think it's the old Donald Trump bait and switch, to which it's just another one of those perfect windows where he acknowledges almost that the bait and switch is a Donald Trump classic. Yeah, that's true. Well, I think, I mean, it's also like the, uh, 
he he is admitting that and i mean obviously this is true to a certain extent but he is a lesser version of his father like that is all he's saying Mm -hmm. here it's like subtly acknowledging that i will never be what my father is and hopefully nobody is too disappointed like yes yes so then the last thing we get in this chapter is a discussion of when they were looking for a vice presidential candidate which if you remember they had to offer to mike pence because they accidentally floated the name and then they were like <laughs> shit now we need to do it because he didn't know but now we have to do it because and because nobody else would would accept who wasn't batshit crazy yeah yes so yes he says that they had a lovely breakfast with mike pence and his family and they noticed that the pence's life was not a lot or rather was a lot like theirs no cooks and maids doing everything for them that's how Just everybody's every life is like everybody's life is like that <laughs> Yes, I know. But no, but also, <laughs> bullshit. Bullshit. You want to tell me that the Trump family does not have cooks and maids? Yeah, bullshit. Right. You're full of shit. You're, you're completely full of shit. Uh, and then they, they also bring up, and this is sad, that they approached Newt Gingrich <laughs> yeah, for the vice presidential no. spot. <laughs> Newt Gingrich said no. Yeah, Newt Gingrich. Like, he even, he, he, this is another one of those why did you write that moments, right? Because he, he says... That a few minutes into the conversation, he noticed that, you know, there was there was some hesitation going on on Newt Gingrich's side. And he just asked the question, do you really want the job? And Newt Gingrich said, no, I mean, I, don't know. I would take it yeah. if you offered it, but like, I don't really want it because I'd rather be crazy in public. It's basically what he said. And it's so beautiful. It's just so beautiful. Yeah, it's uh, it's not great. <laughs> it's no. it's not great, honestly. Like, also, Newt Gring- Gingrich, he says, when it comes to it, I'm happy he decided that. We already had one pirate on the ticket. We didn't need two. Like, what the fuck does that mean? You're calling your dad a pirate? Do they see themselves like, as pirates? I guess, yeah. Like, <laughs> very strange. Very strange. And from there, everyone, we get to the final paragraph Thank of the chapter, fuck. which, as usual... I will read in its entirety, and it says, quote, Left-wing pundits and fake news told you that my father was making promises on the campaign trail just to be provocative, just for the attention. Those who said and wrote that, however, were about to experience a rude awakening. And God damn it, if that isn't The truest so sentence in this book. The truth, absolutely the truth, because yeah. it wasn't just left-wing pundits who were telling you he was just making that up. It was the right-wing ones who supported him as well. Yeah, he doesn't Everyone thought shit. he was full of shit. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so I, one thing I was... Remember, I, the, I, the wall, the, it's not a literal wall. It's yeah. a figurative wall. Yeah, it yeah. stands for more border enforcement. God so, damn it. so one thing I suggested we do before we read this chapter at the end of every chapter is we would try and point out the thesis of the chapter and say whether he <laughs> achieved his goal in that chapter of, of a thesis. Uh-huh. But this chapter just doesn't have a thesis. So we'll start that yeah. next week. Like there is no thesis to this chapter. <laughs> There's no point being made. It's just a memoir collection of bullshit that's like, oh, yeah, you know, my dad ran for president. And now I wrote this book. Yeah. Isn't that weird? If if anything, if this chapter was to have a thesis, it's identical to the previous chapter where it's, I'm a blue-collar normal guy, aren't I great? Yeah. I'm not rich, but I'm rich. But I'm normal, but I'm not. Which I That's think... That's about it. That's as close as we get to I it. think the coming chapters actually begin to try and argue some points. So the next chapter I is about so. immigration. <laughs> um, I've actually read ahead. I don't know if you've done the reading yet. Yes. But uh, it, the next chapter is about immigration and how that is hashtag bad. 
um which as an immigrant <laughs> i would like to say is not true um but it's I, not hashtag bad i have a lot tweet to that say. out immigration have, is not hashtag bad i have a lot to say about the next chapter as i'm sure you can imagine. all right because there are a lot of generalizations well, about legal immigration which get thrown around and in my experience as a pretty well-off white man have not been the case so i can only imagine how it is for people who do not have my unique circumstances in this case yes your unique whiteness exactly. uh well benedict as we know from all these chapters uh asking what did we learn is non-applicable so of course i have another question for you which is we learned at the very beginning of this chapter that he thinks that champagne corks and fireworks are the appropriate entrance mm. for a member of the trump family what is an actual appropriate entrance for a member of the Trump family? Uh, cigarette butts and, and toilet imperial paper. death march is off the table. Cigarette butts and toilet paper. <laughs> See, I was I was going for more of a a literal entrance. I was going to say uh, the scene in Braveheart where he's dragged out to be uh, drawn <laughs> drawn and quartered. That oh, okay. was uh, uh, yeah, that was what oh, I was great. going for. All right, okay. fantastic things okay. you Brits used to do. Yeah, we, yes. we, we had some good ones. We had some good, good, <laughs> good torches back in the day. Yes, you did. Drawing and quartering, man. That's, that's yeah. I, people that, talk about the guillotine, but damn, drawing and quartering. Okay, that's that's people, a torture. People are gonna get more of it. The guillotine is a relatively humane way of killing people. <laughs> like it's it's just like bam, done, head's gone. That's you know that's it. That's not, it's really next like, week on the show we rank the methods of <laughs> of torture and death. It's not because it's mechanized, so you just die. Like the, there's no axe man to fuck up cutting your head off. Yep. Like you just your head goes in, true. your head comes off. It's very easy. Please, true. We probably true. shouldn't guillotine anyone, just to make that clear. But <laughs> this is the official stance of the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast. We probably shouldn't guillotine anyone. Uh, well, thank you for listening. <laughs> And we hope you you're giving me the maybe you're giving me the the iffy off, hand sign off, off, off camera <laughs> on camera but off record yes nothing is off record anyway thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show if you can't get enough of us you can go over to patreon.com forward slash nygbc and become a patron for as little as two dollars an episode for patron only episode shout outs on the show drawings to win our copies of the books we read and more as always we want to give a shout out to our wonderful and amazing patrons aj brantley taru Takanan, andrew j becky scott fairly conduit of too many fursonas i love that skeptical right. seventh emily burke and brusque platypus. Thank you all, as always, for being our wonderful and amazing patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, in brightest day and blackest night, no evil shall escape our sight. Goodbye. Goodbye. Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com. <laughs>